0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with Detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am ecstatic to have on the show today a good, good friend of mine, Al Rooney. I met Al back when he was playing professional minor league hockey with the Fort Worth Brahmas in 1999. Yes, way back when. Al has had a storied career playing hockey, coaching hockey, living life, and we get into all of those excellent discussions and talking points, and I think you're really, really, really going to enjoy it. Before we get there, I do want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on nostalgia overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours, but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, without further ado, my episode with Al is right up after this. What's going on? My name is Joe Shaw and I host the music podcast After the Encore. After the Encore is a long form, a career retrospective podcast that takes you behind the music of some of your favorite artists. Musicians like John Oates of Holland Oates, Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, and Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup, and many others. Each season of the podcast is themed around a different topic, like the boy bands of the 90s, badass women in music, Or even artists that were featured on the TV show The Voice. I am committed to taking you deep inside an artist's mind to find out why they do what they do, what does music mean to them, and how do they quantify success. We tell an overarching story which will take you not only behind the music, but into the psyche of the artists themselves. After the Encore is a proud member of the Roberts Media Group podcast family. Check us out on any of your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to the detox podcast with me at this time. He is a good friend. He's an old friend, not because he's old, but because I've known him for a very long time. Al Rooney, Al, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing wonderful. Great to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, old friend.
0: I am super excited that you said yes to this episode. I've wanted to get you on the show for a while. It hasn't worked out scheduling-wise on my end. Um, but today, we're going to talk about a lot of great things. You, I, I, I dare say, I feel like you are one of the most interesting men that I've ever met with all of the different <laughs> paths that you've taken in life. The different experiences you've collected, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into just a few of those uh, this this evening, sure. morning, afternoon, whenever you're, someone's listening to this. We're recording in the evening, um, but first, as a reminder, and to those who may uh, be listening to the first time here at the Detox Podcast, we invite the listener to detox, quote unquote, from the world around them and get a window into how other people live their lives. And so I always like to start the episode off by asking uh, my guest. In this case, Al, what are you currently detoxing from?
1: Um, Well, I would probably have to say, uh, speaking in broad tones and taking sort of the easy way out, I guess, uh, in a sense, would be, uh, I guess, just detoxing from uh, all the dishonesty in this world. Hmm. Just there's a... there's a lot of charades going on in this world i feel anyway uh, and i wouldn't necessarily say in my uh in a micro sense i'm to my, i'm tar- more talking in a macro sense not uh, not in my personal life by any stretch of the imagination but just uh you know the world around us in, in a general sense
0: i it, i like that answer mainly because we were talking before we started recording about the different uh shenanigans that Entities get into for the sake of of a deeper business meaning. People are like, I don't know what you're talking about. As an example, I'm wearing this uh, Miami Fusion retro jersey from Major League Soccer way back in yeah. the day. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, Major League Soccer used to have a team in Miami. Yes, they currently do have a team in Miami. It's different. They had a team in Miami, the Fusion, and a team in Tampa Bay, the Rowdies. Um, no, the Mutiny. I'm sorry. I was digging back into yeah. NASL Yeah, Mut- Mutiny. Yes, Rowdies. The Mutiny. Now, you're going way back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they decided that these two teams weren't generating enough revenue. There was, it was too hot. There was a lot of reasons. They ultimately decided to fold the teams and reduce the league. Um, fast forward to the fact that now there is inter Miami and uh, the league acquiesced to the Beckham buck and so it's it's interesting what um, different leagues or corporations um, entities will say sometimes in order to uh, maybe not reveal what they're truly doing and, and that's fine to a certain extent we don't okay. need we the populace, don't need to know everything but I think, If you want to say we don't want a team in miami because of the ownership group i think at a certain point you can just say that and then you don't have to be like ah it's too hot and people aren't coming to the games and they're not winning games because none of that was true at a certain point so it's just it's interesting um that you see these trends like time after time after time
1: yeah in in various businesses and various aspects of the world and sometimes it's not um i feel like it's not sense that you have to uh, you can be honest and and not revealing. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to lie. Right. Like you can not give the reason as a league, let's just say. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you have to lie about it. You have a fake reason. Right. (laughs) So like, and and there's a lot of that, um, you know, I I feel going on and, you know, uh, obviously we don't have to really touch the hot button in politics, but just in a general sense, it's, you know, you know they're they'll tell me that the sky isn't blue i'm looking at it right now you right. know so it's a big charade at times it's frustrating so that's my detox <laughs> no it's all good <laughs> so it's I'll frustrating that for a while
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> it can be it can be exhausting
0: for sure um and you know it's uh uh perhaps um <laughs> and to be clear to anyone who's listening
1: my brother the reason that we're talking about the miami fusion my brother uh, Jimmy uh, was the captain of the Miami Fusion for a couple of years and played for several seasons. That's right. That's yeah. right. Which was a lot of fun. It was a fun time in our lives. It was, you know, it was a fun time in MLS
0: too. That was when, uh, what was it? Ray Hudson? Was he the manager? Yeah, Ray of, Hudson oh, was right? the
1: coach. I actually was down there because uh, Jimmy's season in the MLS went in summer. Mm-hmm. My season went obviously in hockey, winter in the winter. So I had gone down to Miami in September and was training, doing off ice training for a couple of weeks in Miami in September of 2001 and wasn't practicing with the team. I was practicing, I was like running sprints and doing workouts while they were practicing. So right. I didn't stretch because I'm not practicing with the team, <laughs> but I was just around the compound. I was going to the facilities with them each day, you know, and their, you know, athletic trainers were, were kind of taking care of me as well. So it's just an opportunity to see family and train and, and, Obviously, as we know, nine eleven happened. Yeah, uh, and he was captain of the team, so I was in the locker room and sitting there when you know, obviously, reports the whole world and nation was stunned, and yeah. they were actually bound to get on a flight for uh, a, a road trip, a two-game road trip to DC and New York, ironically enough. Wow. So yeah, it was uh, it was quite the moment, but it was it was a shocking moment, obviously, without getting into nine eleven, but it, it, prior to that, like you said, that. The, the team with Ray Hudson, uh was, was quite a cast of characters. You know, so being around that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, it was uh and I saw them actually with your family when I was in Dallas. Yeah. Um when they came into town as well. That's right. That's
0: right, and you know you bring up you bring up hockey for those who who may not be listening or maybe skipped over the description perhaps. Um, I know Al from hockey way back way back when. So Al has had a, a storied career, I would say a storied career because I like to tell stories about Al's career. That's how we're at this point. <laughs> um, but playing in in small town Texas uh, or just teams in different minor leagues, so you got the you had the Fort Worth Brahmas. You had the San Angelo Outlaws, San Angela Saints. You had the Abilene Aviators for a cup of coffee. Uh, the something uh, Pirates. Uh, Lake Charles. That was yes. in
1: uh, yeah, WPHL the WPHL as well.
0: That's right. The Ice Pirates. And so there's a there's a lot. And then, of course, coaching into that as well. But one thing that's interesting, you didn't start out like you, you were a bit of a, a, I guess, late bloomer to hockey, correct? So you didn't get into it until a lot later than – a. Others who have played professionally get into it. Am I remembering that correctly? This was back in high school?
1: Yeah, I actually didn't learn to skate until I was 16. That's right. I started playing hockey when I was 16. And uh, I grew up in a soccer family and then went uh the, the high school I went to was known, particularly known for its soccer program. Where my brother had just graduated. So there was a lot of, uh, yeah, I wasn't Al Rooney so much as I was Jim Rooney's brother. Sure. Yeah. Which, as a mature adult these days, you know, I have no issue with as a uh, 14, 15 year old kid. It was a little, a little tougher. You know, you tried to find an identity and so on and so forth. And I just was losing interest in it. And uh, quite frankly, wasn't as good as my brother. And going into my senior year, I wasn't going to do anything. And it was My two brothers that were just going like, ah, come on, do something. And I had played street hockey and goalie yeah. and roller hockey. And then I just says, all right, we'll give this a shot. And literally, my oldest brother, Philip, he helped me and taught me how to skate it was every Wednesday, uh, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, we went and skated. And I, the, literally the first time I was ever on the ice, I, I, I swear to you, ever on the ice with goalie equipment on, was the tryout for the team, for my <laughs> high school team. And at the same time, I look back now, and as ridiculous as that sounds, I think as an adult now, and I'm like, why did I not at least give myself one dry run like a week before, <laughs> so I know ice was tougher to come by back then. And you know, we're talking 1989 at this yeah. point, and but I still think back, and I, it, it literally was the first time. Now I'd played roller hockey, right? So I yeah, knew yeah. what I was doing, but I had never been on the ice with goalie equipment. So I remember just kind of standing closer back towards the, the goal line. And kind of just reacting and you know being quick and and so on and so forth. Uh but yeah, and, and it just I, I, I would hesitate to say that it came easy to me, but it was sure. something that helped me uh you know kind of find a little bit of an identity that I, yeah. I did something as opposed to everyone else in my family and and it kind of came easy and within a year, by the end of the year I was just I guess yeah, this is what I want to do <laughs> <laughs> and, what, what, so naive what, and uh, stupid.
0: Were you a sophomore or a junior in high school at that point?
1: No, I was a senior. That's my right. senior That's year. Yeah, so yeah. then I played my senior year. and At the end of my senior year, I'm like, yeah, I'd like to try to do, do this, play junior hockey. And, <laughs> you know, looking back again, my parents obviously were steering me away from it. And it was a friction <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And I didn't understand it at the time as a parent. Now looking back, yes, they're seeing a son who has less than 12 months experience at something saying, yeah, that's what I want to do in my life. Yeah. Uh, so there, it was part naivety, uh, you know, on my part, but I I worked really hard at it and within six years later, I signed my first pro contract. So, I mean, there was a lot of in between that and a (laughs) lot of stories between and highs and lows and, but a lot of, you know, taking chances on my part. And I was fortunate that a lot of them worked out. Something something that I
0: remember watching, uh, obviously, as, as a young lad who who had limited experience and 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 knowledge. I I will caveat what I'm about to say, but it seemed like you had a lot of natural athleticism in the net, and I often wondered, or flexibility, athleticism, however you want to describe it. Um, and I often wondered if in a lot of players and then i'll use you as an example in this situation but if a lot of players are able to like almost get to that and i'm snapping my fingers if people are listening like what is that noise get to that professional level quicker because the the athleticism athleticism agility that type of ability is more of like a comes that part comes naturally so it's the other things you're working on whereas other people could spend forever learning the technical skills but if they don't have that agility They're only going to go so far that was just my thought and observation i
1: welcome like what do you think yeah no i would tend to agree i mean i i I grew up sports was a big part of my childhood i had a i was very fortunate great parents great family life growing up uh parents were very involved uh, you know always on weekends and sports and trips and so on and so forth so uh but soccer is, is a sport that can translate over to hockey yeah. Uh, we, we played a lot of soccer using footwork, foot speed. And, mm-hmm. and I was pretty good at that. I just kind of was, you know, steering away from it and yeah. it did translate. And uh, my oldest brother, uh, he had played hockey as well for a little bit. So he, that's why he kind of helped and steer me sure. in that direction. Uh, but yeah, it did translate. It was certainly, uh, and even in college, I played but my second year of college. I played on both teams. I played, uh, I was in Buffalo state and I was uh, with the soccer team. And for a couple of weeks there, for about a month or so, the, the seasons overlaps so we're literally jumping right from the soccer field, sprinting over to the rink, getting dressed for hockey practice and getting on the ice. And, you know, so it, it was interesting, but they translate well. And it, I, I again, I don't want to say it came easy to me, but sure, it seemed sure. like a, a natural fit. And that's what helped me progress. Like I was able to kind of read the play, Yeah, around sports and understand the dynamics of and that's what helped me kind of catch up quicker.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. And you brought up I really like the the idea of like the the sports translating. So I know that um, one of the reasons that I have heard bandied about as to why the U.S. men's national team is not the best team in the world, even though we have a large population, we've got incredibly diverse talent pools diverse meaning diversity of region experience makeup visible diversity sure but all of these different areas and it's hypothesized well the best athletes are not coming to play soccer they're going to basketball football maybe baseball hockey depending on what's going on and so you're getting like whatever athletes want to play in some cases the best but in often cases in most cases you're not getting the best and so I think, Um, That I thought it was an interesting thought of our best, if our best athletes played soccer, what would that look like? And then in one scenario, and then the other thing that I thought was interesting, I don't know if it was Tim Howard, or if it was another professional player who talked about specializing in sports is not the solution your solution should be to as a kid play as much as you want whatever you want and then you learn the lessons and you incorporate those into your playing style which is exactly what you said you were doing when you were playing hockey you were incorporating yep. those reads of the play into
1: your 100%. game 100% 100% agree and there's a lot of a lot of sources we can cite regarding that and uh, that's kind of twofold i'll answer that twofold i'll address what you said regarding Tim Howard uh, first in the sense that uh, it is first of all, muscle memory type stuff yeah. to be able to give certain muscles a break and translate and go to do something uh, and change out. You're not going to get burnt out on it mentally, physically, emotionally on a sport. So it's, it's healthier to do different things to, to try different things and not kind of get pushed and pushed and hammered into one specific thing. Uh, It's a developing body. You want to be well-rounded, you know, playing something in the summer, uh, a different sport, using your hands and feet on the grass, using the dynamics of, you know, moving around, learning balance and agility, what works in that sense in a natural and fun, fun environment. (laughs) Uh, So there is definite documented, you know, sources saying that that is a benefit to be more well-rounded. Now, conversely, That is something that in my experience, um, you know, being playing at a high level sports and then coaching for 14, 15, 14 years at a high level. Yeah. And also having conversation, long conversations with my brother, Jimmy, who played at an even higher level and coached at an even higher level in a different sport. Right. We'd also have long conversations about this very type of thing. But at a younger and younger age, more and more people are pushing their children towards specialization at earlier ages, chasing after whether it's professional genes or college scholarships. So there's financial rewards and this and that. And they don't realize that they're just they're rushing in. And again, yeah. this is my opinion. Sure. Uh, just my experience, you know, my opinion is based on experience of dealing with parents in recruiting and seeing recruiting getting younger and younger and not wanting to be a, any part of that yeah you know when you got eighth and ninth graders committing to division one institutions there's an issue yeah and it's not just the institutions it's the parents signing off on this so it's you know you got parents that are worried about if uh, their kids are going to develop to do this and be elite at the age of nine and ten when really you just want to go get a snow cone after the game yeah I, there's nothing wrong with just playing no. a sport for fun and getting a snow cone after
0: the game. Exactly. I, uh, I've i been watching this documentary, and uh, spoiler alert, it's going to be one of my things to check out, but I've been watching this documentary on Netflix called Becoming Champions, and it's not a Netflix original. I forget who did it, but it was released in 2019, and it's about all of the countries that have won the Men's World Cup, so all eight of them, and there's a deep dive profile into how they won it, what they've done since then, like focusing on the country and I I feel like it was Uruguay though it may have been Argentina I binged them um, so it it blends together a while Mm -hmm. but I want to say it was Uruguay where they were talking about how they were dominant and they haven't gotten to some of those levels in a very long time and it was because they said people believe that you're no it was Argentina actually I take it back it was Argentina someone's going to fact check me it's fine so Argentina they had these high highs and they're having trouble replicating that because people are coming and plucking their kids at a younger and younger age because they're expecting the next Messi the next Maradona they're expecting these players and I'm saying this with the full knowledge that FC Dallas just signed a dynamite Argentinian winger, Alan Velasco, who's incredible. And he's 19, 18 years old. And, you know, came up through the River Platte system, same type of an idea. And so it's like, it's hard because on the one hand, if you have a player and you put him in an ecosystem and environment where he can thrive, it's good. But if you're just plucking players to like, Oh, I want to, you know, grow a Maradona in a cup. And then there we go. There's a world cup. You're not, you're doing a disservice to the, the kid, the family, the, the country in some cases.
1: It's, it's some, and there's gotta be a certain amount of progress and be balanced progress and innovation with tradition and what's worked and so on and so forth. There's always gotta be a certain amount of balance. Uh, But in doing that sports, um, you know, the world in, in every which way has become a smaller place. Yeah. You know, there's, there's more trade, you know, we're doing a Zoom call right now across state lines yep. Yep. and so on and so forth. But it's also with – I'll use the World Cup as an example. Uh, I, back in the 70s when I was growing up, 70s and 80s, the national teams were a lot more unique. Sure. Brazil played with a lot more flair. And they still do to a certain degree, but not nowhere near right. as distinct. The flavors weren't as – were much more distinct. Germany right. played more mechanical games. Brazil played this style. These but well now with these players being plucked at early ages it's sent all over the world. You got Portuguese players leaving home at the age of fourteen to play in England or this and that. Yep. It the game, all those national teams of the waters have become a little bit muddied and yep. it, it, it's not as unique in that sense. And going back to to that with a in the American sense and answering our previous question, parents are seeing this and where's where's the money in the scholarships They're not yeah. their first choices in soccer right it's going to be right. it's going to be basketball uh i don't know if it's it's, it's steering away from baseball just because that type of sport has isn't holding the attention span of yeah people as much it's still a powerhouse sport sure. large following and a major sport but it's not as big it, it didn't hold that the man, doesn't hold the mantle it quite did you know 30 40 years ago but basketball yep. now, football is football going to survive with all the injuries? Yep. You know, do do people want to steer their kids towards that sport? You know, so it's it's uh, it, it's interesting in how they want to, and, and do you want to be a part of that? Right. In a sense, like it, it, should it be the focus? And at what age do you start to become the focus? I think it should. Me personally, I'll just add that I think it should be at an age where the kid can help make his own mind. Does yeah. he want this to be a part of his life?
0: Yeah. A hundred percent um it i have my own personal opinion that i think part of the thing hurting baseball or in my opinion as somebody who's you know an outside looking in i kind of feel like baseball hasn't had like a a big name like pop culture name for the sport in a while i was just listening to a show about ken griffey jr the other day and I was like man i remember when ken griffey jr transcended baseball like everybody knew king Griffey Jr. and then Michael Jordan transcended basketball, right? So like all these, all these players. Um, and then the other thing I think is they've had so many strikes over and over and over again that it's just it's yep. it disrupts the momentum. But but yeah, it's uh but that is a topic for another time. But it's yeah. a gu- it's a good point though because kids need to be able to to make up their mind. Well, I would say kids are kids. And sometimes they have trouble making up their mind. Sometimes as a parent, you know, sometimes it's hard to know what they want. Um, But we I think it's our role as parents to help give them the tools to make the best choice that they can in any given moment. And that's where I feel like I see a lot of parents struggling because they want to do that. But they also understand, like, there's money on the table, or if we don't act now, there won't be money on the table, or there won't be a future, and I want to give them a future that's better than mine, and all of these factors that make it incredibly that's where, hard.
1: And that's where the, the business gets salacious in yes. the sense that they try to oversell these to the parents at earlier and earlier ages, which is unfortunate. Yep. Uh, but it, the fact is, uh, you know, I've seen it firsthand. You know, I used to do lessons. You know, um, I'm proud to admit I I didn't charge as much as other people. And, uh, you know, but even I would steer away from certain parents who would contact me about lessons with immediate goals in mind Mm -hmm. and goals that I know are their goals and not the students' goals. Sure. And there's, it's a fine line between And and maybe this is presumptuous of me, but I'll, I'll admit it, but it's a fine line between, okay, are these, uh, are these goals for you or are they for your student are are they setting it like because it's also how cooperative is the student how hard are they going to work for this exactly you know because they're ultimately on the one on the ice yep so unless they want it there's only so much that's going to happen anyway so it can get to it can get to be a very uh kind of see the enterprise sometimes when the curtains peel back when you get into the act dealings of sports at certain levels and that's where i think it's important you know Providing for I've always said, you know, in, in meetings, to, you know, to in my current profession or as the coach, you know, the more information you have, the better decisions you can make. Right. And I think sometimes for some reason in this day and age, people are just hesitant to just be honest with children. Yeah. Don't hide it from the truth. Just give them the information. Right. You know, they have access to more information now than they, they than we did when we were children and yep. so on and so forth. It's only going to improve as they get older, but, I, I don't understand why people are just not, not they're, they're afraid to be honest to the children. Just let them know what's at you know what's going on or as they get older, let them know what's at stake and say, here's your choices and yep. Make a choice and we'll live with it and support it. Exactly.
0: Well, speaking of choices, you had a lot of choices on which teams you should play for when you were in uh playing professionally. So you we mentioned a few of them uh as you were bouncing yeah. around. So the Western Professional Hockey League was a minor league. Uh, that existed in the late 90s through kind of early, mid-2000s. I believe it officially yep. launched in 97, 98, and then uh, ended in 2003 or 2004 is when the teams that were part of the Western Professional Hockey League were folded into the existing Central Hockey League at the time. Um, yeah, it was kind of like the equivalent
1: of double-A baseball.
0: Yes, exactly. And so you, I first met you kind of winding the clock a bit, uh, when you played for the fourth Brahma, so you came over. Ooh, uh, it was the ninety nine two thousand season, if I recall yep. correctly, uh, and you were the backup goalie to Steve Plouffe. Is that who,
1: uh,
0: or was it Rob mm, Laurie? Yes. Yeah. No,
1: I came in. Um, I I started the season with Abilene. That's right. And was absolutely miserable there. That's uh, I've always. To be honest with you, I don't even care if I offend somebody. I've always said Abilene Abilene is where fun goes to die. Uh, And speaking to somebody who went to
0: college in Brownwood, which is a town that considers Abilene the big city, can confirm a lot of fun sucking occurring in that area of Texas. Um, Shout out to my Brownwood listeners. Yeah,
1: between... Between that, like the the organization was a disaster. It was just a bad choice on my part to sign with them. The organization was a disaster. Uh, That's what what my uh, first wife and I split up. Uh, So I was going through uh, a split up there. And that's when uh, I was traded to Fort Worth because I I wanted out. So they traded me to Fort Worth. And that's when I I came across uh, and met your father and your family.
0: That's right. That's right. So you were there. Were you there for the entire season?
1: Yeah. I, well I was um, say- no no you, you got no traded. no I got traded because I uh I took the bullet for the team that's right uh I'll say this rule I'll, I'll I'll try to make it quick <laughs> uh I was we were doing well we had a really good team and yeah that team I was backing talent, up though. Steve Pluth. yeah and I, I let's face it I played eight seasons of pro hockey six of those eight seasons I was a backup goal yeah um yeah but I knew I, I kept playing because the more experience I had, whether I was playing or not, I knew I wanted to coach when I was done playing. Sure. So it was just more experience plus, you know, at the time I'd be working for a living, let's yep. face it. And uh, was enjoying myself, so on and so forth. But I, I was with Fort Worth and Ploof and I were a good tandem and the team was doing really well. We had a lot of good pieces. And then right before Christmas, Ploof came into my apartment and let me know that he signed a contract over in the KHL. That's right. That's and he left. Right. that's why and he then left. I that's moved. Right. Yeah. And then I moved into the number one spot and they brought in, I forget who, and he was backing me up. So I was the number one goalie then for the next couple of months and was doing well, but then long story short, uh, we found out, uh, our coach at the time, Terry Menard, um, he was playing games with us with our paychecks. That's so we right. Supposed I to get right paid on, yeah. We were supposed to get paid on Wednesdays. So after practice, we'd come in and our paychecks supposed to be in our stalls. Well, sometimes if we had to quote unquote, a bad practice in his eyes, we'd come off the ice and our paychecks wouldn't be there. Mm. And we started noticing that trend. Then we were like, this, this guy is honestly just going to play games with us. Cause he's going to hold, you know, hold back a paycheck because we right. had a bad practice or just cause he's in a bad mood. And, so there was grumbling going on for, for, for quite some time. And as I said earlier, I'm in the process of my wife's left me. I'm, I'm giving less and less fucks in my life. as Like, <laughs> as far as like dealing with that type of stuff, like this guy's honestly going to mess with me. Like my, my wife and child aren't with me anymore. I'm missing right. that. I, I'm done. So, and everybody was grumbling and everyone was saying it, but I was just like, you know what? I'll be the guy then. So there was a team rule. You weren't allowed for some reason, you weren't allowed to go down to the office. And I just stormed down there and says, what is going on? Terry's saying this. And that's when I found out he was lying to us and the ownership had no idea that he was lying to us about the paychecks. He was just holding them at a whim. So needless to say, we had words and he asked me to apologized or refused. And then, uh, so yeah, he traded me. So I know I all the guys are like, yeah, thanks, Al. Thanks, you know, for saying this and that. You know, I would have said it. You know, I'm like, yeah, I, you're, you're welcome, guys. But now I'm gone. <laughs> and they were actually, we're leaving that day. And that's why I said something. Because guys were, we had, some of the rookies were living paycheck to paycheck. Right. So I went into the office. I was like, we have guys here that need to cash their checks before we leave on the road. Yeah. And everyone was like, no one's, everyone's afraid to say something. So I went down and said something. So Terry didn't like that I stood up to it. So I got traded to Lake Charles. <laughs>
0: I that whole <laughs> for those who are listening are just like what is this welcome to the world yeah, the, the of sports. yeah um, it's
1: uh, <laughs> it was it, there's interesting stuff like that that goes on behind the scenes and, you know the fans see it in one sense and, and that's great it's the way it should be I mean it's the same with any industry yeah, You know, there's the behind the scenes is, is often, you know, different, but yeah, the, it, it was unfortunate, you know, I, I, in a sense, I don't want to harbor ill will or speak sure. guilt of Terry Menard or anything like that at this point, you know, the it's water under the bridge, but it right. was, you know, I was at a point in my life where, you know, and I still am, I guess, nature, of my personality, I'll, I'll say the, what's what everyone else is thinking. <laughs> it's,
0: it's so like, I don't know. I, I am. I I don't know. I think it's so I'll say this here and someone's going to like take this idea probably, but I want to do a like narrative style documentary podcast on minor league sports and specifically minor league hockey, because I think there's so much stories in here that it's just like I think most people don't realize because perhaps their only exposure to sports are these major leagues. And then yep. it's, but it's, there's the, like, there's A baseball. You talked about double A baseball, right? The CHL ECHL um, there's the uh, USL in soccer, right? I mean, there's all these kind of minor leagues where players are playing in some instances to get a shot at the big league and in other instances yep. to get experience because they want to coach like you talked about in other instances, yep. you know, they're chasing something that maybe they know they're not going to be able to get, but they're still chasing it, right? Because it's yep. all they've ever done. So it's it's so fascinating. Um, well, my
1: first, yeah, my first few seasons, I was I was still in the hopes of rising and going higher and higher, and I'm still chasing things. And then I played a year by year three or four. I knew at my age and at that point that I was like, okay, this is about where it's going to be and and what it is. Uh, but you, you talk about pressure. I do. I do know early in that I went when I went to San Angelo. I was brought in and I had, my wife was pregnant at the time. And we, we went to San Angelo and I was doing great. And after two months, because Paul Craig, the number one goalie went on the long-term IR, so I was brought in as a stopgap measure, but I outplayed the other guy. Right. So I was told literally I get showed up for the game that night. And I was starting that night and I got called into the coach's office. He goes, well, as you know, Paul Craig's being released or is being off the IR tomorrow. So I got to make a move. I was like, yeah, he goes. So bottom line is, is it goes, you're starting tonight. So if you win, you stay, if you lose, I'm going to keep Trevor. He goes, I'll just put it in your hands and you're a man. You know, can't ask for anything more than that. And I'm, yeah, you got it. Well, I'll win a game and you're going to see my ugly face around here for a while. And, you know, and you just laugh it off and so on and so forth. Well, now it's like the whole duck you know, on the surface, but paddling like hell underneath. Now I got go right <laughs> to go pitch best for the game, knowing that I got a pregnant wife in the stands. And I go out and during the national anthem, you know, there's like five thousand people in the stands, and I'm overlooking at her, and I'm literally thinking, as that as the anthem singers thinking, I'm like, this poor woman has no idea that if I lose tonight, we have to pack a U-Haul. <laughs> yeah, and it, so that's the sort of pressures you're getting in the minor leagues that you're not getting at the NHL level. And at yeah. the high levels now, yes, there's there's different sorts of pressures because there's more money and there's it's bigger right. business, uh, so on and yeah. so forth. But there's the the type of pressure at the minor league level, and also contracts can you can be traded. Uh, there's less guarantees yeah. and this and that. So yeah, it's uh, it's not for the faint of heart that sort of career. Uh, I'll no, say that
0: it's not. And the only thing that I can think of as well, so. I uh, grew up a, a pretty big professional wrestling fan. Yes, uh, I'm aware of how that sounds, but I'm fine <laughs> with it. But there was a there was a, uh, a an organization in the in the '90s that. Is no longer in existence called Extreme Championship Wrestling, and they had a certain brand of style. So at the time, WWF, now WWE, and WCW were were marketing a bit sometimes to like to the kid or the family, and ECW was marketing to the the adult. They had hardcore matches, programming. They shot it like a low budget indie film. I mean, Crash TV, all this stuff like MTV replicating like all this kind of of the time yeah. stuff, and they had a huge cult following. Um, and they also had no money, and so the play the wrestlers were working for free a lot of times because paychecks in the mail, paychecks in the mail, paychecks oh, yeah. in the mail. <laughs> and uh, the owner and operator, Paul Heyman, was such a PT Barnum that people like rallied around him and were just like, I don't care. He gave me my only shot. These other organizations didn't. I don't care if he's not paying me. But then it got to a point where like these big-name guys were like, hey, look... WWF came calling and is offering me a guaranteed contract i gotta i gotta flip i gotta yeah, go it's, and it's it's like you you can't it's what people will the lack do of stability to, yeah. is crazy
1: <laughs> what people will do to, to chase that dream i know it's it's crazy Restored so, their so moving reality. on
0: right <laughs> So moving on, we talked about coaching as well. So how did you, well, I guess maybe here's what I want to do real quick, because I don't know this. And then we can, then I want to transition into a little bit of your coaching before we start wrapping up. Um, But how did you even get, so was San Angelo the first team that you played for professionally? No, No, uh, it was Port Huron. Port Huron. Or Nashville.
1: What ended up happening was I went to college for two years and I I was a history major and I'd like to consider myself well read and uh, I and as I've gotten older with each year, I'm always interested in learning. But again, yeah. back years and years ago it was less talked about and this I'm not saying we're repressive by any stretch of the imagination, but uh I just I'm I'm not necessarily hundred percent cut out for sitting in a classroom type learning. It's not my my strength. Sure. Uh, I'm not a stupid person. I'm, I'm not brilliant by any stretch, but I'm not stupid. But I, I just, I, I, there was no way I was going to last for four years to get a degree. Uh, yeah, it just wasn't It just was sitting tight. And I wasn't also a partying type in college. I, I didn't even taste alcohol till yeah. I was 23. So that, yeah. just staying to party, I mean, I'm an introvert. You think I'm going to college to party? I went and was <laughs> suing a... History degree, but I knew it wasn't for me. So literally the last semester of college, I never really went to class. I finished out with hockey, and I just was working out, training, eating right, and just putting it all on the line. And I went to free a, a, a particular free agent camp that summer, and was like, "This is it." And again, at the time, I didn't really have, in retrospect, a backup plan. I just was, this was yeah. going to work. I'm going to that. I'm going to get seen. I'm going to sign a contract and everything will be fine. And that's how it worked out. And I'm fortunate, but I, I don't know how it worked out that way at, at the times too. Um, yeah. I, I really just buried my, my head and work, but I went to that free aging camp and before the camp was even over uh, that's when uh, uh, John Blum, he was an ex NHLer. he was a scout for Florida. So he signed, he signed me and um, it was a minor league deal. That was an affiliate with the Florida Panthers. So I went there and started the season there and halfway through the season. Uh, but actually then in retrospect, I, I go to training camp and there's five of us there and I thought I, had, I was good. I thought I had signed, but I get yeah. to train camp. There's five guys for two spots. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this, it's going to be over before it even starts. <laughs> And we get into like the first day of practice and I'm looking around at the other guys. We're talking and shooting the breeze and three of them played major junior. One of them played division one and I played on the worst division three team in, in the history of hockey at that point.
0: So I'm like, this is over
1: before it starts. And, uh, they're talking like one of them talks about winning, literally talking about winning the Memorial cup with Eric Lindros in major junior. Oh my God. You know, and then they're like talking and I'm just sitting here, you know, shooting the breeze. And they'll go, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, not, not <laughs> letting these guys know that the whole reason I know what they're talking about is because I fucking read about it in the hockey news, you know, right. <laughs> not because I'm one of their peers. I happen to be one of their peers now because right. I'm on the ice with them, but I don't know what the heck I'm doing there. am right. you know, so it was a lot of that. And I just, I worked my tail off and, uh i remember they they released one guy so then it's down to four two were returners and they they definitely were trading once now it's like okay i'm one of three and then i just we played the preseason games and i was playing well and i handled it and um you know it's funny because eventually over the years they i came to be known and i hate to admit the dancing goalie because i used to (laughs) you know bop my head to the music and relax and help relax and everyone thought it was because like i was just like this wild and crazy guy or this party animal and i, right. I was the furthest thing it, it, it more came yeah. about because i was nervous i needed something in between yeah. whistles to get my mind off of thinking about where i was because i had only started playing hockey right. i mean i'm literally saying like i'm playing against guys that i was reading about in the hockey news like i used to cut my yeah. my lunch yeah. short at in high school to go to the library to read the Hockey Digest, and now here I am wow. years later wow, playing against these guys, and so I'm like, "What am I doing here?" Like I'm like a season ticket holder with benefits right now. This is awesome. Like, so I was you know just nervous, and it just was like a right. way of releasing nervous energy. And people saw it as like something completely different. And I used to just kind of shake my head about it, you know. But I guess perception is reality, as they say. Yeah, you know,
0: you had two good notes in what you said that I want to focus on real quick and then i want to talk through your coaching career a bit is um so wait real quick i know i was just like real quick a second ago but you were on the nashville Nighthawks in the chl when the fire won the league is that am i remembering yes. that as the same and season?
1: we uh yeah okay. because we went and played uh the fort worth fire and we got destroyed by the fort worth fire that year because the nashville because i was hal- halfway through the, the season with poor huron Igor Karpenko got sent down from Florida. They, he was traded from Calgary to them. So that bumped me out. So that's when yeah, I went to Nashville. And yeah, we played against uh, Fort Worth right. uh, on a road trip that year. That was the first time I was ever in Texas. That's... Well,
0: little did you know uh, you were going to have a long yeah. love-hate relationship with no the kidding. state. Um, <laughs> um, but two things that you said in there, right? So I think one thing that I want to focus on is you talked about um, it. You said it in a different way, but it's almost like uh, maximizing your opportunities, making your own luck. I heard a, a, an incredible businesswoman on the NPR show. Uh, uh, wow. I'm uh, how, how it's built? Yeah, how it's built. Um, and she talked about, said, we all get lucky throughout the course of the day. We make the green light, get up 15 minutes earlier, get the soda we wanted at the store. She's like, A lot of people don't see the luck as luck. They just see it as like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's right. And they think getting lucky is this like humongous break. She said the people that get the humongous breaks are the people that recognize the luck in the moment and don't waste it. And so it's like, oh, I beat out this guy because I did this. All right, now I'm going to do this. And now I'm going to do this. And it's just like kind of, all right, I got a little bit lucky here. Let's see if we can double it. All right, let's see. Let's double it down. Let's see if we can keep doubling it, tripling it and going on. And once I heard that, and I started recognizing like the pockets of luck, I guess you would say, throughout the day, I've noticed my own self. I've started like being more intentionally aware and trying to maximize those moments, and it's helped. So that's one. Yeah. Thing and preparing listener key
1: to preparing on. yourself. Yeah. Yes. To to act on the on the on your abilities those when those moments yes. arise. You no, know, and preparation exactly and then, it involves some self sacrifice and you know, that's, that's where the tricky part comes in. Are people willing? Are you are willing for the self-sacrifice exactly. first to then be able to have a foundation to, to act on once you recognize those moments?
0: Exactly. And the other thing you talked about on the, the nervous energy, right. For, from, uh, to become the dancing goalie, one of my favorite uh, musicians, uh, Max Bemis, who is the lead singer of uh, the band Say Anything, which, uh, for those who do not know, is the band where I was able to propose to my now wife on stage at a concert. They're super gracious. They set it all up, Palladium Ballroom in Dallas, Texas, in front of all these screaming fans. Moment that will live in infamy in my That's brain. Fantastic. I love it. Um, so they have a special place in my heart. Um, he. So I went to multiple Say Anything concerts before the proposal and then after, but there were several concerts, and the first time I saw him was at the Door in Dallas, this pretty tight venue. He's manic. He's all over the place. He's thrashing. He's screaming and um, like singing and like you know not quite crowd surfing, but like all but all of these things. And I'm like, man, this guy's a wild man. I saw an interview with him later, and he said. The reason I am so manic on stage is he said, I have just a bundle of nervous energy. I've got to just get it out. And this is me like releasing all of those nerves, because if I stop, I will remember where I'm at and what I'm doing. And
1: I will 100%. freak out. I can completely and... relate to that, you know, because <laughs> when I was when I was playing like with the puck was down at the other end, it would be. Focus on something, I'd be analyzing play, potentially who's coming out, who's up for the next shift, keep my mind busy. But when it would come this way, as soon as it kind of crossed the red line, it was like kind of blackout. And then next thing you know, the puck's leaving the zone again, and you just, you're kind of zoning out and you're on autopilot based on all the training and this and that. But if you, sometimes if you think about the moment, it's just kind of like you will, me personally, would kind of tense up. You know and, and yeah. even though there's no real yeah. reason to it's just kind of human nature
0: yeah no i completely understand that for sure so now talking about coaching and then we'll we'll segment out of the episode because this has been i could continue to talk for hours and hours but um on the coaching so you wanted to coach this was something that you were building towards that you wanted to do you were learning the lessons you were analyzing the details you were absorbing all of this wonderful coaching you started coaching overseas right am i am at one I rem- point but europe. i didn't am start I, remembering overseas. That correctly? I did
1: a few years up in albany new york
0: that's Got where it. i started okay. my coach okay so what led to the official like start and then how did you end up over europe and then i know this is going to yada yada through a lot of it but then how did you kind of make the decision to be done with coaching uh, when it was all said and done i
1: started because i i was getting to a point it was kind of twofold i was getting to the point where an age where it was kind of time to you know take the gear off and uh not only that I also wanted a little bit more certainty in my life you know as a as a uh and it's funny saying that as a coach because you can be fired as well but uh you're less apt to be traded I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you that so I wanted a little bit more of that right. and it's a little bit more year-round because I, I you know in the minor leagues you're playing all season then in the summer you're, you're teaching hockey schools and doing that sort of stuff so you're caught co- you're you know you're putting together a right. hockey you know a profession in hockey but not necessarily always as a player uh, so I was already getting a lot of experience right. with the instructional side and so on and so forth so uh, a family friend of ours um, actually who coached my oldest brother uh, and then funny enough his younger brother was one of my sister's first boyfriends, uh, so he was he had coached many years. He had coached professionally in Europe. Well, he had moved back to the states and was starting a junior franchise. So it was a perfect and wanted to know if I wanted to coach. It was a perfect opportunity to to start yeah. to not only uh, work alongside him, but um, and take advantage of the opportunity, but learn. As well, you know uh, the the coaching side from somebody who had been coaching in Europe and a various experience. So that's what what happened. Uh, so I was in Albany the first uh, three seasons. Uh, the very first year, we we started with recruiting late, and we won a championship and took third at nationals. Uh, so it, it kind of it, it happened pretty quick. I loved co. I, I enjoyed coaching a lot. I loved it of uh, various aspects of it. It as with anything in life, uh, it evolved over the years. Uh, you, you love different aspects of it. Uh, you acquire more responsibilities and so on and so forth, you know, less of a game, more of a business and so on and so forth. Um, but I was there, I was in Albany for several years, uh, met wife number two there, lost wife number two there. (laughs) Uh, like I said, it's, uh, (laughs) <laughs> and, and I own it. Uh, it's it's certainly that's a whole another podcast but we could uh, we could talk about. Uh, but that being said, it was partially myself, partially aspects of my life um, my brother had passed away. Um, so that that was affecting me. Uh, so all said and done, I kinda in retrospect didn't realize at the time kind of ran away to Europe. Uh, You know, my brother died. The organization I was coaching for kind of folded. Uh, My wife and I uh, parted ways. So it was just, ai didn't even realize at the time, but I I went to Europe and coached there. And actually, they were in the midst of negotiating and speaking to me about bringing me back the following year when I kind of had my uh, first aha moment and I had a son from my first marriage. It was living in Nashville. We had a great relationship, but obviously distant, We'd uh, visit him. He'd come to visit me. I'd visit him, uh, constant phone conversations, the six weeks in the summer, the whole thing. Uh, but I was over in Finland and we got knocked out. The, I, I was the head coach was fired a week, a couple of weeks before the end of the season. So I became the interim head coach. Uh, And we got knocked out in the playoffs, but my ticket wasn't leaving for another about three weeks. So I ran a hockey school for them just in the meantime. And at the end, all the parents were, you know, thanking me and praising me. The kids had a great time and all this and that and everyone left. And as corny as it sounds, I was literally the last one in the locker room. I was sitting there by myself in the locker room in Finland, and it kind of hit me. What the hell am I doing sitting in Finland, making this kid these kids day when I have my own son down in Nashville? So I literally the next day told them, yeah. I said, I appreciate you offering me to come back, this and that, but I, I, I'm going home. And I dropped, that's the first time I dropped hockey. Yeah. And I went back to Nashville and started uh, and just worked a regular job and just left hockey completely and just focused on being a dad. Um, and, and also yeah. was recovering, self-healing from losing my brother. I had a lot to work on myself. Yep. You know. Um, you know, I pushed a lot of people away pushed a, a marriage away, my you know family members and friends away. Like I was just angry at the world and I had to come to grips. Uh, so part of that was being a better dad, being a better person, this and that. Uh, but I there was that part of me that was like, I'll do this. And as, as Sylvain gets older, then I'm gonna get back into it. It was always the plan. And then I did, and I was yeah. once again was successful and it just kind of snowballed and I advanced. Um, from year to year, league to league and jumped. And then I ended up going to, to Texas to coach junior hockey again. And I was there several years, won some championships and, uh, went to Minnesota. But my last two years I'd gotten to, uh, I was a head coach GM and kind of the responsibilities outgrew my personality. Uh, my personality flaws, I should say. because mm. uh, i I'm not <laughs> I, i'm I'm not ashamed to admit like and and I don't know why more people are, and I'm a flawed person. like I'm not perfect. doesn't mean I'm proud to be flawed. I'm sure. not just not ashamed of it. You no, know, it doesn't mean I don't work on certain things. Yeah, uh, that being said, uh, you know, as a natural kind of introvert and it it's kind of getting worse as I get older. and the level I have reached, my responsibilities out yeah. what I could hide. You know, so I can sit here. I will break sure. down. I don't You can throw me any NHL coach. I'll sit in a room comfortably and break down an X's and O's, an opponent, a power play a PK. I can do all that without a moment's hesitation and full confidence. Now try to put yeah. me in a room of 25 people and have to use person, my personality to manipulate their personalities and this and that in the newer generation, um, um, because it's ever evolving and I'm certainly not going to be you and say well my right. generation was better because we were easy. it's not that at all <laughs> it's just that it's it's evolving right. and I lost my capacity and interest to say yeah okay i'll I'll evolve yeah. and I'll, and I'll adjust and this and that you know so uh, but the last two years the opportunities were such that I had to move away from my family and spend so much time away from my family which, just kind of respawned right. previous problems of just just wasn't happy you know yep. i was spending too much time away from my family so I, ultimately yep. i wasn't happy And if i'm not happy how are the people around me going to be happy it just wasn't a good situation so right. i just was like you know what i don't even really desire for the charade anymore the off season with networking and uh you know speaking to all yep. that so that's where it just kind of eventually evolved where I was just, you know what, I'm more content, just leading kind of a little bit less of a, a road trip and road life, you know, doing something that I, I did love and, and was successful and good at to, you know what, I just want to be simple and be home every night with my family and just be content. And that's kind of what I ended up going for because I, I yep. did notice that in periods of my life when I, I was having mental health issues or anything like that. My fail safe was uh, to be around my family, be around my son, so on and so forth. So that was for me, um, you know, for me, self-awareness is more than half the battle. Uh, So it was just kind of like, I think it's time to step away. Um, I don't miss it. And this time, like, I have no desire to be like, I enjoy being away from it. Like, I have no desire. Like, I knew the first time it was just temporary until I got the ship righted and, and so on and so forth. But this time like I, I I knew and and I don't regret it. I don't regret my time doing it, but now I, I love what I yeah. do now and I love the time that I have with my with my family.
0: You know. You know, it's key that you've got to you've gotten to a point where you know <clears throat> you talked about contentment, right? So like you know what you yes. want out of life. You know what you what's important to you and what's most important. And we talk about so many interesting things, right? So your playing career, your, your brother's playing career growing up and family and then playing and then coaching and so many interesting things. And at the end of the day, I can relate so hard to this. It's like, it doesn't mean anything if I'm I'm not with my family and I'm not experiencing it with them. Like who cares? Like you have a rat's ass. Like if they are like, Joe, I want you to come and, 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 you know, you're going to be head of programming with NPR and you're going to be producing all this and be doing all the show and you're going to be in New York or Chicago or whatever, but your family's got to stay here, get out of town. Yeah. And it, I don't want, and it's funny because the,
1: uh, I'm not just saying this, the wins weren't giving me enough juice either. Uh, funny part is, is like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. I
1: I was fortunate to coach alongside Dan Wildfang, who for me is one of the best coaches. Uh, hockey coaches I know um yeah and he uh we won a championship with the Lone Star Brahma's. and the night we won it it was in it was in Duluth yeah. and after we won it we went back to the hotel and I just wanted to sit in the, my hotel room I was ready to get my pajamas just put the tv on and I was ready for the flight home to the next <laughs> morning and and he was like sitting there and was like, I, I kind of Uh, It was awkward for him because he wanted to do the normal thing and go out and see the guys and party and see the parents and have drinks and do this and that. And I just so that that's part of like an example of where it just that having to to be put in that situation where I'm like, I I don't want to ruin anyone else's fun. I just don't I just want to I just don't want to be around like I just want to go home. You know, I don't have to do this and that. And uh, right. so yeah. it, a lot of those sorts of things, you know, just kind of add up, and put in the situation. But it's I, 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 I didn't have an interest in all those sorts of extracurricular things or, or those added pressure behind the scene pressures that you don't even think twice about, you know, or most people don't. But as yep. an introvert, I just it, it, it kind of triggers me a bit. and I'm not using it as a, a, a as a yep. as a, a crutch or anything. You know, it's just, uh, right. it, it, I I also have, you know, an ability to just, I don't know, my natural expression. I don't want to use the old expression because it's uh, of resting, you yeah. know, what face, I don't want to offend anybody. It's, it is offensive, <laughs> but I just, uh, even when I'm having a good time, it doesn't look like I yeah. am. So then I'm always getting the questions of like, hey, relax. The, face. I, I, I am relaxed. No, I'm not having, offending you. So. <laughs> You know, it's kind of funny. So I just like to be home with my yeah, family and yeah. enjoy things. And, you know, life is good. But I, I also, there's nothing wrong with. I, I kind of wanted to mention, there's nothing wrong also with the self-awareness of just saying, like, you know, it's, it, it is me. It's partially me. Like I, because of my personality, I, yeah. I'm, I'm perhaps not the best fit to be a coach anymore. You know, for this newest generation, there's nothing wrong with admitting that and just saying. Yeah. And I'm content with that. I don't have to fix that. I'm content with going sure. in a different direction. Right, right. You know? Yeah. It's, it's okay yeah. to just say, you know what? It's not yeah. for me anymore. I'll go in a different direction. And it's exciting to go in a different direction and not have her read about what I did get out of hockey. I, mean, I saw the world. I met a lot of amazing people, you know? Right. You know, I have met my current beautiful wife, and I have a great family from it. I have two beautiful children for it and travels and stories and experiences. I have a relationship yeah. with you and your family. You know, so it is, it's, it's an amazing sport, but at the same time, it's, uh, I was, I was done.
0: Yep. I hear you. And as a reminder to those listening, uh, May is also Mental Health Awareness Month. And so I was glad that we were able to kind of touch on the 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 need to be self-aware the need to to find out what help or what works yeah. for an individual right and so just being able to connect whether it's family whether it's community whether it's senior therapist whatever it is right it's it's important that we know that we're not alone and uh, there's always help and and resources out there for us um, yeah, your family and dad was on so the front lines for that to do for that me
1: back in 2001 So I'll never forget that.
0: Yep. I remember. Yep. Yep. I remember. I remember. Well, I'm thrilled that we're able to have had this conversation and, and be able to talk, uh, and, and maybe maybe the next time, it cannot be like eight years before uh, we're talking formally. I, I don't think it's been that long. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it feels like it. So um, what I will say, though, okay. So as before we wrap up and get into the things to check out segment, I want to know, what is a mantra or a piece of advice that you have that you like to share with people with others whether it's players whether it's young kids whether it's other parents whatever that you would like to impart on the listeners well i think
1: in simplistic terms it's twofold one is don't be afraid to be honest with with others with people and with your children um I, i sometimes am a little coarse in that and need some refinement in my honesty uh but also having said that uh one of the best pieces of advice I got as a coach was from uh, a wonderful player and coach um, uh, Terry Ruskowski. Played for the Penguins, um, coached in the CHL for many years. Fantastic coach. Yeah. Um, so he used to say, uh, "Don't ever come down on anybody without also presenting them with them with the solution." You know, there's no sense in pointing pointing something out, yeah. pointing something wrong. You know. Hey, you did this wrong, and then just walking away. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know. It, even yeah. if it's uh, you did this wrong, understand where you're coming from. We need to try to say like some sort of support, or at least acknowledgement, or point them in the right yes. direction, or just say, have you thought about this, or just some sort of feedback uh, and communication. And it falls back to again, the more information we have, the the better decisions you can make uh, and for those around you. And if you want people exactly. to make good decisions around you, then don't be afraid to share information with them. You know? Exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, that's wonderful. Wonderful. All right. So we are going to the final part of the show. It's a segment I like to call... Things to check out. It is a segment where I invite, uh, well, I share something I'm either reading, watching, and or listening to for the listeners, and I invite my guests to do the same. Uh, I will go first. So, as I mentioned earlier, a TV show one should check out, especially, well, I was going to say, especially because the World Cup's about to start, but yeah. it's not. It's f- six months away. Duh. Although I am. Getting to watch the U.S. Uh, play Grenada, 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 Grenada in the Nations League in Austin in June, and it's the last time the men will be stateside before out. the World Cup. So super okay. pumped about that. So, uh, and it's and it's not a friendly; it's an actual like, yeah, it's the Nations League, but yep. it's still like a competition. So that's the, I couldn't get tickets to the World Cup qualifier when they played Jamaica, so this is the next best thing that I could get. So, anyways, super excited for that. So. The documentary is called Becoming Champions. It highlights the eight different countries that have won the Men's World Cup since its inception. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Absolutely love it. It's incredible. It's on Netflix. I'm also watching Winning Time on HBO. So I don't know if anybody's a big fan of Magic Johnson and the Lakers dynasty and that whole story. It stars John C. Riley as Dr. Jerry Buss, who bought the Lakers. That whole situation is so interesting. So definitely go check it out. Um, movie. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're like, you know, I'd really like to get an interesting uh, movie that's about hockey. Um, of course you could watch Slapshot. That's always a classic, but uh, I uh, recommend Mystery Alaska if you're up for it, because that's always a classic. It's about the New York Rangers playing a team from Alaska in pond hockey. <laughs> I don't think any more needs to be said. And then a uh, uh, books uh, for those to check out. So, Uh, I am rereading probably for the umpteenth time book Blades of Glory by a former guest on the podcast, John Rosengren, who actually just released Classic Baseball. We did an episode with him uh, recently, and uh, John Rosengren is probably my favorite sports author. Um, His book Blades of Glory is Friday Night Lights, but with ice hockey in Minnesota. So uh, he follows the top team in Minnesota around for a championship year. And documents the ongoings. If you know Friday Night Lights about high school football in Texas, this is it. But it's Minnesota's equivalent for ice hockey. It's a fantastic read. Highly recommend it. So, Al, what are you reading, watching, Uh, or listening I am
1: watching. uh, One thing I would recommend is on Netflix, Ricky Gervais' Afterlife. Uh, Season three just ended. And that's the series as well. Uh, but it's just fantastically done where virtually every episode they're quick they're sharp they're concise they're 23 to 30 minutes to length uh, but you're going to laugh you're going to cry and you're going to be surprised uh sometimes all in the same scene uh, it's it, it's just fantastically done and it's it's pretty raw it i things at unexpected moments and as cliche as that sounds uh it's in the sense that um what i enjoy about it is it takes turns at at moments where okay so it's one thing for this this moment to be going on it now but now to also say that in this moment wow that's not very typical so it's it's layered in that sense uh but it's brilliantly written and acted uh but it's a British series. That's probably my top recommendation for viewing in that sense right now. Uh, as far as books, I'm going to have to... I reread it, uh, and I finished it about three months ago. And it's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Tom Robbins, Fierce Invalids, Home from Hot Climates. It's, uh, it's a non-fiction uh, kind of picture... Um james bond on uh in the cia while on lsd at times (laughs) it's uh it's 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 (laughs) very well written uh but it's it's sort of different uh it's shocking it's raw as well um but it's a character that it, it, it it's kind of done in the vein of what we were talking about before we started recording in that uh, when you really peel back the layers it's all kind of a charade uh, i wouldn't go so far as to say it's kind of it's yeah. it, it wouldn't go so far as the matrix blue pill red pill type of thing but a similar vein in that <laughs> kind of really just open your eyes people uh around you and look at the world and yeah uh, are you are you kind of just laying back in the in in this mighty river as a little twig and just letting yourself kind of blissfully ignorantly go down the stream or do you want to actually kind of claw your way to the shore and see what right. they, see what really out there so it's kind of something in that vein so i, I yeah i i I've, it was the third time i've ever read it and it's it just you find something new each time but it's uh it's really cool i love it very cool
0: uh you know you're talking about the ricky gervais show and it reminded me of Derek. yeah i, which is also I have on that, that also on my list, list and i
1: want to watch similar. it um the last thing the, the movie, I'll it's, say is going this is where now agree. the history nerd is going oh, to yeah. be uh, come out of me. Uh, <laughs> but I just saw it shortly before this unfortunate war in Ukraine started. and the parallels mm-hmm. are amazing in the sense that the movie is called, called April 9th. It's on YouTube. It's a, it's a Danish movie. Uh, i believe and it's it's about the german invasion in world war ii of denmark on april 9th and basically how they knew it was coming and this it's it just follows the historical front lines unit that had to be on the border and be like okay well out of all the people in the world we're the guys that are facing the, the mighty german war machine tomorrow at what 6 a.m yeah. And it's just like, so it's like the night before and see soldiers dealing with it. in that oh. first day and just, you know, about the human spirit, like no one can really say how they would react under circumstances. You know, you're real until they're until you're in it. Right. But it's just a very interesting look into that moment historically. And I, I, again, I thought the parallels with being, you know, with Ukraine, they knew this it was coming in the week leading. And everyone said, no, they're not going to do it, not going to do it. Sure enough, he he did, and it was the same thing then. You yep. had some Danish officials going, No, nah, I don't think he's gonna oh. do it. So uh very interesting. Uh historically, obviously, it's uh, subtitled, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Very cool. Thank you for sharing. And if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best um, way for them to On
1: do that? Twitter. Actually, I don't even know what my Twitter handle is, so hold on, I'll have to look for really
0: Hold on. It is at a seventy
1: two. Uh, that and uh, yeah, that's probably the best way. And I'm I'm probably the most uh, active on that as far as Facebook. I kind of use as kind of like almost like a personal open book diary of my life. Uh, but it's much more personal, whereas Twitter is much more, you know, for activities and and railing about the injustices of the world and trying to stay plugged into people that are active so I can support them and find, find moments where I can be active in my community uh, to get involved at what's going on around us right now and try to make it a better world for us.
0: I love it. Well, that's what we're all about here at the detox podcast. So Al, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a absolute treat and a delight for me and I'm excited. Thank you. I appreciate to you back it. On the show again. Uh,
1: great seeing you. And uh, I, I appreciate the invite. I, I did enjoy it and I have enjoyed uh, listening to a variety of these episodes. Perfect. Well, thank you, Al. And
0: listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O dot